Well, good morning. My name is Champ Thornton. I'm one of the associate pastors here. We welcome you to our church. Our senior pastor, Curtis Hill, is away this week with his family on vacation. We'll be back later this week. Look forward to hearing from him next week. We're glad you're here. We're in the middle of a two-part series from the book of Proverbs in the middle of your Old Testament, the 30th chapter, right toward the end, Proverbs chapter 30. We have a series in this chapter, and we're calling it, What Do You Want? And I'm calling it that because this whole chapter is talking about different ways of looking at the theme of what we want as human beings. So you could put under that category wants, desires, ambition, greed, just the human hunger for more. That's what we're talking about. And often when you go to the book of Proverbs, maybe you go to a chapter, you kind of open it up, that chapter, and you look in that box, and it looks like just a bunch of pearls sitting in that box, just gems on their own rights, little nuggets, little verses that individually are amazing. But then when you examine it closely and you pull it out, you'll find that often in Proverbs, those pearls are strung together on a theme. And Proverbs 30 is especially no exception. It's all on the theme of human want, desire, ambition, greed, and hunger, and how all those things fit together and how we navigate it. So last week, we looked at how does, what, we asked this question, what informs your wants? And this week, we're going to shift gears and look at what, how do you evaluate and regulate your wants? So last week, we were, basically, we pulled out the map and said, what informs where you're going? What informs your drive, your wants? This week, we're going to pop the hood, and we're going to get into the engine, and we're going to be tuning the engine. What is driving you? That's what we're looking at today. So we're looking at Proverbs chapter 30. Robin Johnston is going to come and read for us verses 15 and 16. Notice how it's on this theme as throughout the chapter of human want. Proverbs 30, 15 and 16. The leech has two daughters. Give, give, they cry. There are three things that are never satisfied, four that never say, enough. The grave, the barren womb, land which is never satisfied with water, and fire which never says, enough. Thank you, Robin. So our text this morning that Robin just read paints a pretty bleak picture, a pretty kind of ugly picture of human want, doesn't it? It talks about it in terms of a parasite, a leech. And it says it has two daughters. Scholars tell us that those daughters, what the text means, is the suckers on the leech. So, I mean, it's really ugly. And you can kind of put your ear up to the suckers, and they're going, give, give, give. They want. They're hungry. And they're hungry for the lifeblood of others. That's ambition in an ugly way, isn't it? Then it goes on to say there are four things that are also just like that. Four things that have that same insatiable hunger. You know, the grave, the grave always wants to end life. The womb, on the other hand, always wants to bring forth life. This summer, your yard can probably drink up all the water you want to dish out. And if there were a fire, it would just burn until there's no more fuel. These things are hungry. What a great picture. What an ugly picture of the way our hearts want and desire And it's telling for us here about the way our hearts work. So there's a children's book. Maybe you've read it. Maybe you've read it to your kids or your grandkids. It's called, If You Give a Mouse a Cookie. You know this book? 
There are spin-offs, right? Like if you give a moose a muffin or give a pig a pancake. Well, you know how these stories go, right? One thing leads to another. Help me out. If you give a mouse a cookie, he'll want a glass of milk to go with it. And then as the story goes, and if he wants a glass of milk, then he's want a mirror so you can see whether he's got a milk mustache. And then if he has the mirror, you get the idea. It's one thing leads to another. And it's kind of funny. It's kind of cute in a little kid's book. But the reason it resonates is because that's the way we are, isn't it? We have hunger and ambition and drive and something is never enough. We want more. And so today, let's just look at this. Like, this is not something that just Christians notice. So there's an author, Benjamin Shalva, who wrote a book called Ambition Addiction. And in the Washington Post in 2016, he said this about his book. He said, for ambition addicts like myself, growth is not enough. Accomplishment will not suffice. We addicts need to distinguish ourselves from the herd. We desire domination. We ache for adoration. We want to win, and we will move mountains to make every dizzying dream come true. All ambition addicts, no matter the activity, venue, or great and glorious goal, have at least one behavior in common. Here it is. We are running for our lives. It's not quite as nice as if you give a mouse a a cookie. This is not just a children's story. It's our story. So the question is, how do you know? When is enough enough? When is enough too much? How do we regulate those desires? How do we assess those desires that all of us deal with? What's too far? What's too much? Not just ambition, but any kind of human want. Well, that's our text today. Proverbs 30 provides at least five assessments for us to ask, five questions to evaluate our own ambitions and wants and desires. These are governors on the engine of our wants. These are guardrails on the road of our ambition. So what are they? Let's just dive right in. Number one, ask yourself this question. Does my want advance myself at cost to others? Does my want advance myself but at a cost to others? Let's look at verses 10 to 14. Proverbs 30, 10 to 14. It says, Do not slander a servant to his master, lest he curse you and you be held guilty. There are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. And these next verses describe more of what those people are like. They are those who are clean in their own eyes but are not washed of their filth. They are those, how lofty are their eyes? How high are their eyelids? There are those whose teeth are swords, whose fangs are knives to devour the poor from off the earth, the needy from among mankind. So there are two people, two groups of people that are being mown down in this verse in the name of want. Because you want to get ahead, you talk bad about a servant to his master. Why? Just to be mean? No, because you want to put him down so you can put yourself up. And then it says, and there are children who curse mom and dad. What does that mean? They're swearing? No, in this context, it's talking about you kind of wish death on them. Why? Because you get their inheritance. So the picture in both these verses are of people who want to move forward and get what they want at cost of this person and cost of that person. It's all about what they want. But if you do this, this book says 
you do that, you're going to pay the price. Verse 10, it said, if you curse a servant, what does it say? Don't do it lest he curse you and you pay the price. You're going to pay for it. And then in verse 17, the child that curses mother and father, what does it say? The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by vultures. You wish your mom and dad dead so you can benefit from their money? You have that kind of desire? You're going to end up the corpse in the valley, the corpse who's unburied, without honor. So you think you're getting ahead? You're kicking the stool out from under your own self. In other words, here's the point. The way up is never right if you climb on others to get there. Now, the terms of this verse are pretty stark, pretty ugly, pretty gritty, but we're pretty subtle at this, aren't we? You know that offhanded comment that kind of separates us from the pack, advances ourselves, kind of leaves everybody else behind? But we do it in a way where it's not really bragging, but just so people notice. That comment, that's, you know, shared in confidence. Well, don't tell anybody, but, I mean, we all know that. Shared in confidence maybe one at a time. And what are you doing? You're putting someone else down. It's at their expense that you're promoting yourself. Or maybe you just, you're good at conversation. You're good at manipulating others. You're manipulating others so they think better of you. You manipulate others so you get what you want. You know how to have those conversations. And at the end of the day, you're angling. You're angling for a better wardrobe or a better house or a better schedule or a better school or a better friend group. Whatever your want is pushing you toward. Sinful ambition uses others to get. But godly ambition gives to serve others. So how'd you do? First question, first assessment. Does my want advance myself at the cost of others? Secondly, does my want cheapen what God intends to be special? Let's look at verses 18 to 20. Three things are too wonderful for me. Four, I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a serpent on the rock, the way of a ship on the high seas, and the way of a man with a virgin. This is the way of the adulteress. She eats, wipes her mouth, and says, I've done no wrong. So before we dive into all that, notice, apparently, the author of Proverbs 30, his name is Agur. We talked about him last week. Apparently, he's a numbers guy. He's using, there's two things, there's three things, there's four things, there's three, but four. What's all with that? Well, that's just an artful way of saying, let me give you concrete examples, but it's not an exhaustive list. There are three things and there are four. There could be others. But he's, he's writing in a beautiful way to show, let me give you some examples. So what are those examples? He says, here are four things that are spectacular, amazing, wonderful. You just go, wow. You know, something that you want to capture and maybe put on social media because it's just like, that is really amazing. It's too wonderful. First one he says is an eagle. In Israel, in this context where it was written, the eagle is like one of the heaviest birds of flight. So here you are, you're in that culture. You, there's no airplanes, no hot air balloons. How are you, but you notice there's this bird, it's heavy, and it's way up in the sky. You go, wow, that's amazing. You can't trace that path, but you just kind of wonder at it. Amazing. Then, 
you've got a snake on a rock. So here's a rock. Don't think flat ground. Think maybe a little bit of an incline. No hands, no fingers, no feet, no toes. How is that thing holding on? That's incredible. Wow. A thing of wonder. Then he goes on to talk about a ship. The Israelites were not a seagoing people. So anything about the oceans were particularly uh, foreign to them, a cause of wonder. And so here you've got a ship. How can the wind be blowing that way, but the ship can still go that way? And you can't trace the path in the water. It's not, there's not a road. I mean, how does that even work? The tides, the water, the wind, amazing. And then he says, watch this. This is amazing. Boy meets girl. Boom. Chemistry. How does that happen? How does it happen that a husband and a wife, they fall in love? And you think, wow, how her with him or how him with her? And I mean, this is why the Hallmark Channel is around. You go, wow, that's incredible. Now, in contrast to all those things, here's someone who, in their want for more, jumps the curb of God's boundaries, is an adulteress. And all those things of wonder, it's just biology. I mean, there's nothing really amazing. No one puts a picture on Instagram of a bologna and cheese sandwich. She eats, she wipes her mouth. I didn't do anything wrong. So the question might be here, in your pursuit of more, are you jumping that curb, that boundary, sexually? And taking for yourself, that's what is not yours. I mean, that's part of the story of, of, unfortunately, in human history, that as men have migrated into power, men have not only taken and exercised power, but they've abused that power and taken advantage of women. But it's not just sexual here. Ambition can work like this in other areas too. When someone want something, they can pursue that thing they want at the cost of other things that are more valuable to them, that really are more valuable. So this is the, the person that decides, I'm going to pursue a career, and my family's going to work around that. And what ends up happening, that in the pursuit of their want and their desire, they've cheapened a treasure their family, their children. I mean, in the Old Testament, we read stories about men and women who, in an attempt to pursue what they wanted, to get what they wanted out of life, better crops, better warfare, better security, better all that, they would sacrifice their children to a pagan god, throw it into the fire. And we just think, oh, that's just awful. But the story of the human race is that every time we pursue an idol of our own making, we will sacrifice our children to that idol. It could be your job, it could be your social group, it could be your finances, it could be your children. You pursue your children and you put so much pressure on them that they end up pushing you away. So the question is, is, is your ambition cheapening what God designed to be special? Let's not go there. Next, number three. Does my want propel me above my competence? Let's look at verses 21 to 23. 
Under three things, the earth trembles. Under four, it cannot bear up. A slave when he becomes king, a fool when he is filled with food, an unloved or hating woman when she gets a husband, and a maidservant when she displaces her mistress. This list presents something that just makes the earth shake. It just upends the social order. The fabric of the world starts getting ripped and shredded. What is it? Well, the first and last of these four items, you got a, a male who's a servant, you got a female who's a servant, and they're trying to take over a position that's not theirs. Overreaching ambition. Secondly, you've got a number two is you have a fool who he's getting rewarded despite his folly, and he's really content with life. And then third is a quarrelsome woman. This is a woman who, uh, the text will say, if she, here's the question, if she can't control her own tongue, she's quarrelsome, how is she going to control her house? So all four of these are people, are individuals who are out of their depth. People who, for, the, for whom it's not going to end well. So in business today, you know this, we call this concept the Peter Principle. It's named after Lawrence Peter, a Canadian who, a researcher in the mid-20th century, and he has a truth, an, an aphorism that's named after him called the Peter Principle. And the Peter Principle is basically this, that it tends to be that people get promoted above the level of their competence. So I mean, this is just natural though, right? So here's this person, and he or she is like the best executive director in the history of executive directors. And the higher-ups go, we need a slot for vice president. Well, we know we're going to pick. We're going to pick this person because they're the best at that role. And they probably are. They've got the skills and the aptitude and the resources and the personality to just do great at that role. And they get promoted above what they're actually able to handle. And instead of thriving, they're dying. And everybody is around them too. That's what we're talking about. The question is, will your want push you too far? Beyond your God-given abilities. So who in your life are you sharing your ambitions with, your wants, your desires, and then listening as they give you objective feedback? Painful feedback. Honest, straightforward, bracing feedback. Champ, you should not be an accountant. <laughs> okay, all right. That's not my thing. What is your want? And who's talking to you about that? Some of the reasons that we overreach, that we value too highly what we don't have is because we undervalue what we already have. And that's the fourth question. Let's go there. Does my want minimize the advantages I already have? Let's look at verses 24 to 28. Parade of animals. Four things on earth are small, but they are exceedingly wise. The ants are a people not strong, yet they provide their food in the summer. The rock badgers are a people not mighty, yet they make their home in the cliffs. The locusts have no king, and yet all of them march in rank. And the lizard you can take in your hands, yet it is in king's palaces. All four of these animals share something in common, and that is they're insignificant. They're little. This isn't the elephant. This isn't the blue whale. Small. 
but all of them have God-given natural strengths, aptitudes, advantages unique to them, small though they may be. So let's go through them. Ants, they're tiny, they're small. Compared to everything else, they're not very strong, and yet they are industrious. Wow, look at that. Then you've got the rock badger, pretty defenseless. It doesn't have like big fangs, big claws, a big growl. But when danger comes, they can hide in the rocks. That's why they're called rock badgers. Then you've got locusts. I mean, you can have a swarm of mosquitoes, and they're just kind of willy-nilly all over the place. Locusts, they don't have any kind of hierarchy. Here's Mr. King Locust. Here's the generals. Here's the lieutenants. Well, here we go, guys. But they all happen to somehow work in order. Unified teamwork, devouring your crops. That's amazing. They're small, and yet they can do some pretty amazing things. And then we go to the lizard. The lizard is little. You can hold it in your hands, but it can go places you can't go. King's palaces. For years, every summer, we would go down to Florida to Robin's grandparents' house. They lived in Melbourne, Florida. And ever since Robin was in middle school, they would go down as a family. And then I came into the family, and we got married, and I would go with them. And then the kid, our kids came along, and we would all go, and the cousins, and we loved going to grandma and grandpa's. And in, like it, as many houses are in Florida, they had a pool in the back at the patio. And the pool was, had a screen covering around the whole back area. And lots of fun, lots of memories, great times there. And one thing we remember, and I was looking for a picture this week and I didn't see it, but uh, lizards, those little lizards, little geckos would climb up the screens and they'd run around and somehow they'd get in. And I remember seeing pictures of Mackenzie and her cousins going down and putting their hands down and the lizard running up their hand, running up their arm. How did the lizard get in? Well, that's just the way it is. They can get access to places. The dogs and cats can't get in, but here comes Mr. Lizard. So what's the point? Is it about lizards? Is it about ants? The question is, are you content to be who God's made you to be? Are you content to thrive with the little that you feel God's given you? God's gifted you in a unique way. Every member of the body of the body of Christ has a function. And we need all. You say, I'm just the pinky toe. Well, I don't want to lose my pinky toes. It's needed. You're needed. Everyone has a place in the body of Christ. God's gifted you in certain ways, even outside the body. But in life, God's given you advantages that are unique to you. And it's to our detriment if we just minimize those and try to run after something that's not really us. Are you willing to thrive with what you have? If you're not, ask yourself, why not? Are you conscious of being thankful to the Lord for what he's already given you? Are you actually using and doing with what you already have? Are you kind of saving for when that big moment comes? waiting for that opportunity, your big moment. Many of you know the name John Piper. John Piper was a pastor for decades in Minneapolis, wrote lots of books, very well-known preacher. But I remember him telling that when he was in seminary in California, when he was a very young man, the church he went to, he taught the uh, middle school boys, Sunday school class. 
And then when he went off to uh, more work in Europe, he was involved in this particular way. And then when he came back and was teaching seminary, he was involved in a church with, maybe with their small groups. But he was involved in ways along the path that God put in front of him. And part of his mindset in all this was the advice of his dad, a wise dad, who said, Johnny, keep your room clean and you let God open the doors. Isn't that good advice? Where's God put you? What room do you feel trapped in? That room, God's put you there. And he can open the door just as easy as anything else. So instead of keep jiggling the knob, trying to kick the door down, how does God want you to tend that room? To be faithful there. Don't minimize the advantages you already have. Then lastly, does my want resent the authorities God has placed in my life? So we have four more figures. These aren't little. These are regal and royal. Notice how they walk even. Verse 29 to 33. Three things are stately in their tread. Four are stately in their stride. The lion, which is mightiest among beasts and does not turn back before any. The strutting rooster. The he-goat and the king whose army is with him. If you've been foolish, exalting yourself, or if you've been scheming evil, put your hand over your mouth. Why? Because pressing milk produces curdles, and pressing the nose produces blood, and pressing anger produces strife. So what are we talking about here? Sometimes people in leadership strut. And in a weird way, that can be very off-putting. And at the same time, we go, and I kind of want that. And verses 32 to 33 say, yeah, think twice about insurrection. Think twice about pushing that leader out and taking that position for yourself. Now, what we need to be clear on This is not saying that you should submit to every single leadership ever, no matter what. The question here is not about injustice. That's not the issue at stake. The issue is is not about injustice. The issue is not about oppression. The issue here is specifically focused on your hungry power grab. Man, and all of us are subject to that, right? We all kind of think, I want that. I want that. And I want that. And it's easy to resent those that have it. The point is, don't let your wants be fueled by resentment in others, especially those in authority. The question here is not about that person's leadership. The question actually is about your motives. Are you wanting to get a chance to do better, to show that you can do it better, to discredit someone else? That's what we're pointing at here. So how'd you do today? These five evaluative questions. These five assessing questions. You kind of like the frog that you dissected in high school. We're kind of going through it. We're cutting, we're looking, we're analyzing, and when you're done, there's not much left. Maybe you feel like the frog. That God's word has poked and cut and prodded, and you're like... What do I do with this? My motives are 
out of order. My wants are too much out of bounds. It can be pretty hard advice. It's a pretty bitter pill to be told just to go ahead and submit to that leader that seems repugnant. Maybe it's your boss. It's kind of a bitter pill. But actually, God today is not calling us just to tough it out, to just endure bad leadership. He wants your ambition in any area to actually be submitted to the ultimate authority. And that ultimate authority does not strut. He serves. You see, we're not just getting someone's advice here. We're getting the counsel of God, the ultimate authority. And the question isn't ultimately, how are you going to respond to the authorities in your life and the pull of authority that makes you want more? The question is, how are you going to submit to God's authority? The one who calls you to put your wants within boundaries is the one who focused his wants on you, who put himself in boundaries for your good and at great cost to himself. So if I could go back and look at these five points and kind of say it a different way, let me say it this way. How are you submitting to the one who did not advance himself at the cost of others, but humbled himself for the benefit of others. He did not cheapen and use others, but he, and I mean Jesus Christ, he came to restore others to their place in the family of God, their place of value. He didn't come to propel himself up and seek greatness, but he took the form of a servant and used his energies to serve others and bless them. And he didn't show his true greatness by strutting with swagger, but he picked up a towel and he washed dirty feet. He served. And so it may be the most repugnant thing in the world to kind of rein in your ambition and hold your nose and submit to others who are around you in life and you maybe want to get rid of them or you want their position. And it's not about them. It's about how are you submitting to what God is doing in your life. And this God is nothing like the misshapen forms of authority in our world today. He came to give himself for your good, to serve not to swagger. So my question is, is not merely today, is your ambition, your want, your desires, your hunger for more, is it like Jesus? That's a great question. But I'm asking more than that today. I'm not just asking, how'd you do on the evaluative questions? I'm asking, not are you like Jesus, but are you willing to submit to Jesus? Not just are you like him, side by side, but are you underneath his authority? Are you going to submit to his goodness in your life to get under his hand, the one who let those hands be nailed to a cross for you? Are you willing to give because he's given everything and you have everything? So it really isn't about your ambitions 
It's about God's ambitions, isn't it? And what he wants for your life is not only right. That's where the note tends to be in Christianity. We're right. I mean, if you go to Twitter, that's what, you'll, that's what you hear, right? We're right. They're wrong. But Christianity isn't just right. It's good. It's not just about human conformity. It's about human thriving. Let the Lord do his work with your ambitions and your wants and your desires. And in the giving of those to him, you'll find it's actually getting better than what your plan was. Because that's what our God is like. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we pray that your word would stick in our hearts and our minds even this week. That we would be aware of how our desires and our wants and ambitions uh, push us and push us around and lead us to do things that don't please you and that are harmful for others. Lord, help us to submit to your goodness in our life, your authority, that we would say, not my will, but your will be done. We pray all this in the name of the one who prayed that for our good. Amen.